0: Now that you've uh, proved yourself reliable this morning, able to stand for an extended reading, I'm going to do one more, uh, testing the congregation once again your commitment uh, to honoring the Word of God. So, if you would, please take your Bibles and turn with me to once again to the Book of Job, to chapter 40. I'll be reading chapter 40, verse 6, through chapter 42 and verse 6. Would you please stand again to give honor to the reading of God's holy Word? Job 40 verse six, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man, I will question you, and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God, and can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity, clothe yourself with glory and splendor, pour out the overflowing of your anger, and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low, and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together, bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Behold, behemoth, which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength is in his loins, and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar, and sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze, and limbs like bars of iron. He is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. For the mountains yield food for him, where all the wild beasts play. Under the lotus plants he lies in the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. For his shade the lotus trees cover him, and the willows of the brooks surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident, though Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose and pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the side of him. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole whole heaven is mine." I will not keep silence concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or his goodly frame. Who can strip out or strip off his outer garments? Who would come near him with a bridle? Who can open the doors of his face around his teeth as terror? His back is made of rows of shields, shut up closely as with a seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. His sneezing flashes forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn. Out of his mouth go flaming torches, sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils come forth smoke, as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals, and a flame comes forth from his mouth. In his neck abides strength, and terror dances before him. The folds of his neck stick together, firmly cast on him, and immovable. His heart is hard as a stone, hard as the lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid. At the crashing, they are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it does not avail nor the spear, the dart, or the javelin. He counts iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee, for him sling stones are turned to stubble. Clubs are counted as stubble. He laughs at the rattle of javelins. His underparts are like sharp potsherds. He spreads himself like a threshing sledge in the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Behind him he leaves a shining wake. One would think the deep to be white haired on earth. There is not like his a creature without fear. He sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hearing, I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we would behold the wonderful things that are written in your law. We pray that even tonight as we contemplate your word, that we would see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ at work, and we would rejoice and be comforted. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Chaos is an interesting concept to contemplate. Humans are especially bad at it. It's hard to think about something that's in chaos. We are constantly warring against against chaos in so many different ways. Think about the the roles that different people have in life. Uh, Science, they labor at creating predictability. They want to know how things will turn out in certain situations. Politics exists to create reliability or reliable structures in society so that that citizens can expect things and rely on certain things to go certain ways. Teachers function to to provide knowledge, but also along with that knowledge, logic, that there's a way to think with the facts. Coaches and military officers, they occupy themselves trying to get groups to behave in expected ways. We are longing for repeatability. We're longing for design, for things to be well ordered, for things to make sense to us. And we are constantly ourselves trying to make order out of chaos. Now, again, some of you may be parents. You may have teenagers, and you know they're not the best at bringing order out of chaos. You've seen their rooms. And toddlers are kind of at war with, uh, with organization and order, and they don't love it. But adults, we crave it, we like health. We like a steady paycheck. We like stable prices. We like to be able to find our keys and our chapstick. We want our car to start. We want a predictable rate of return on in our investments. We want uniformly green grass in our front yard. And, and if we just have those things, we'll be happy, right? But sometimes we're not provided those things. Over the past few years, you've probably heard a, a, a repeated the, the, the concept of post-traumatic stress disorder. PTSD, it's, it's become a societal fixture almost, and it could be overused, but there is something to when your world is radically turned upside down that it changes your expectation for everything in your world. And in some ways it can make it miserable because you don't know what to expect is coming. Shock is real. Losing confidence in how things are supposed to be is real. Figuring out the next move is difficult when you're not sure if your next move will result in what you think it would have days before. This is true with societal woes. It's true with the death of a spouse. It's true with the loss of a job. It's true with the onset of chronic illness. It's true with dealing with a child's disability, that all of these things come into our world and, and, and they, they change what we thought was the plan, what we thought was the way things were going to work. And, and it makes everything thereafter hard. These are daily occurrences that happen to believers as much as to unbelievers. And sometimes we will enjoy the blessings of obedience. We do the right thing and we, we see the smile of God upon us. But sometimes, even as part of God's design for us, when we look in the scriptures, we understand that by doing the right thing, we may invite persecution. By, by making the right choice and taking the right stand, we may invite others to, to bring harm to us. So we have to recognize that there is no guarantee in this life, that in this fallen world, that we will go without pain. Pain is a fixture for us. And so knowing that, we can appreciate the words that Job said in Job 10, verse 20, "Are not my days few, then cease and leave me alone, that I may find a little cheer before I go, and I shall not return to the land of darkness and deep shadow, the land of gloom, like thick darkness, like deep shadow, without any order. Chaos, where light is as thick is as thick darkness. Job said that because despair had taught him to give up on every bit of order that he knew. All those things that he had enjoyed in his life, his prosperity with his with his animals and with his crops, his his wonderful children, the wealth he had, the respect he had in the world, the wisdom that he exercised for the benefit of others, all of those had come to nothing. They had they had all been lost in a moment and for no known reason. And hearing that and appreciating that, that that what despair does to us When the when order is lost, can help us come looking and digging in this chapter to find out in these chapters to find out exactly what what God has for us and to find out how Job is moved in the way in which he is. Again, you remember the story. He was a righteous and a godly man, loved and respected, and all of it was lost because of a conversation, a few conversations that took place in the court of heaven. The accuser, the Satan, comes into the presence of God. He he is presented with Job as this righteous and beloved servant of God. And then the challenge comes, take away everything and see what happens. He gets a turn of removing everything from him and still Job maintains his righteousness and so Satan gets another shot. He goes back again and this time he covers him from head to toe with boils. He, he racks his body with pain. He produces intense physical misery to, to go along with the emotional pain that he was surely already feeling. His wife gave up on him, his friends couldn't stand it when he broke out in mourning. And so they devoted themselves to trying to convince him to repent of his sin. And Job had no sin to repent of. He would have longed to have a sin to repent of. To say, yes, you're right. I, 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 I was mean to a child that came to my house and asking for bread. And I'm sorry for that. He, if only he could have done that in the hopes that God would, pr- would bring all those things back. But he had nothing to fall back on. He, man- he maintained his righteousness and correctly so. He was telling the truth. And so after all those discussions, after everyone takes a crack at Job, trying to, to get him to that place where, where he can be restored to God, or he could at least die in peace, the Lord comes and the Lord speaks. What we saw this morning whenever he came and he spoke is he gave this grand display of his creation. He, he paraded animals before Job to consider that he might understand the sovereign power of God and the wisdom of God in ordering his creation. And the response of Job to that was Silence. He simply said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. It's a start. He's humbled before God. He's quiet before God. and He's ready to hear still more. And, and God does not disappoint. He opens his mouth again to speak. And once again, he challenges Job. You see in chapter 40, verses 6 and 7, he challenges him again to dress like a man for action, to gird up his loins, to get ready for work, because he's going to be challenged with something more, and it's going to be incredibly frightening what he faces. God says again, will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? And again, Job had been condemning God. He had said it was God's fault, that he was where he was, that God had somehow left something out, had made a mistake, didn't have all the evidence and if he just had those things, then, then surely he wouldn't do to Job what he had been doing. And so in order to justify his own position, his own pain, he would blame God. Something that we do, isn't it? When we're in pain, when we don't feel good about ourselves, we want to, to to blame someone else. Ladies, you may have done this once or twice in your life with your husband. It's an old story. It goes back to the very beginning. And the first one to blame was not the woman, but the man it was Adam who said, the woman you gave to be with me. The pain that he was in, he, he deflected towards God. It was God's fault. Eve immediately turns to the, and points to the serpent. He deceived me and I ate. James tells us what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you. Is it not this that your, your passions are at war within you? You feel and so you go to war with those around you. This is what Job had done. This is what we do so often ourselves. And so God will open his mouth. God will speak. And what does God speak of? Well, Job had a passing acquaintance with, with, with how God was, but maybe he didn't know who God was. And so, so God begins to explain himself in verse 9 of chapter 40. He says to, to Job, Have you an arm like God, and can you thunder with a voice like his? What a question when you're being spoken to out of the whirlwind, out of the, the, the fierceness of the storm that's raging in his face, how, how God had appeared to him in the tempest. He challenges Job to adorn himself with majesty and dignity, clothe yourself with glory and splendor. What he's saying is give it a shot, try, see if you can match this, which of course the answer is to step back, to bow your head, to, to take the knee before God because you have none of those things. He says, pour out your overflowing anger and look on everyone who is proud and humble them. This is something that God can certainly do. God highlights his works and he highlights himself, his thunder, his glory and his beauty, his wrath against his enemies, his humbling the proud and ultimately his treading down the wicked. As he says that that I am the, the writer of wrongs. Those that, 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 that go outside themselves, that lose the place that they are, where I've placed them in creation, as I've ordered all these other things, those that step out of the bounds, I am the one to correct them. He does it with power, with fierceness. He presents himself as a divine warrior. This is, this is God at war in the creation against sin. It's not empty boasting. This is God speaking in power, literally thundering. This is a Mount Sinai kind of experience that Moses has, only it's directed at, at Job himself. And So God presents himself in those opening verses, but then he turns in a different direction. In which direction does he turn? He, he, he turns now towards these creatures. And you're thinking, well, maybe this is just a replay of what we heard this morning. Maybe this is just another display of interesting animals that that are out there. And and once again, we're going to see that God is sovereign over those. But I want you to pay close attention. What are the two creatures? We meet one in verse 15 of chapter 40. He says, behold, behemoth, which I made as I made you. Then down in chapter 41, the opening verse, he says, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? What are these two creatures? Well, you may have been listening carefully, and you're trying to—you know—there's some debate about these. These are actually the, kind of the most intriguing part of the Book of Job. Is what are, what's going on with, with these two animals that, that God is displaying again for Job? And if you're like me, you probably have come to the conclusion—you know—that that first one, kind of among the reeds and the marsh, this really big thing in the river—it's got to be a hippopotamus, right? So you just nod your head, so you were thinking that, right? And that other one, you're you're looking at, and going, well, well, this is another, you know, creature in creation. You know, it's got this 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 frothy wake behind it and thrashes about in the mud. That's a crocodile. I, I know a crocodile when I see one. That's, this is this is you know reptilian for sure. It, and those answers have been have been put forward by many people, and certainly there's something suggestive in those that would that would make you initially think of those. Some people have also argued that the behemoth could be a crocodile or could be an elephant as well as a hippopotamus. The Leviathan could be a whale and some have even suggested a dinosaur. Uh, there are options that are out there. But before we speculate any further, let's go back and let, let's look at Scripture and compare Scripture with Scripture. If you go back to the, the, the opening, of the creation account, Genesis 124, we find there the behemoth is a name for beast. The the singular form of that would be behemoth, and behemoth is a pluralized feminine form of that same word. Sorry, you're getting a Hebrew lesson. Genesis 1, 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth creatures according to their kind, livestock or cattle or beast, behemoth, and creeping things and beasts a different word of the earth according to their kind. Psalm 50, verse 10, For every beast of the forest, different word there, is mine the cattle or behemoth on a thousand hills also mine? And so it's a name that frequently means cattle, but it also means something else. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 26, he, God's speaking about the consequences of, of, of sin among his people. And he says, And your dead body shall be food for all the birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth. And there shall be no, no one to frighten them away. There the beasts are pictured as these devouring creatures that come in and scavenge the bodies that are lost because they died for their sins. Isaiah 18.6 says, They shall all of them be left to the birds of prey of the mountains and to the beasts of the earth. The birds of prey will summer on them and the beasts of earth will winter on them. Seeing people are going to be food for these kind of beasts. Interestingly, back in Job chapter 12, there was a testimony Job's answer to his f- accusing friends. And he said this in Job 12, 7. But ask the beasts, the same word as behemoth, and they will teach you the birds of the heaven and they will tell you. He, he alludes to the same Hebrew word, the, the behemoth, but there he's speaking of a plurality of these animals. But now go back to our passage. Genesis 40, verse 15, or uh, Job 40, verse 15. He says, Behold, behemoth. Which I made as I made you, he, singular masculine, eats grass like an ox. And so now you have there this animal that, that is being referred to in this plural form, this, this kind of form that indicates a sort of a largeness, but at the same time it's, it's pictured as a singular kind of animal. And those, those, that verse that's, that's initially translated, he eats grass like an ox, Another way, or as oxen, another way to translate that would be he devours grass as a herd of oxen would. Is that this is a creature of of massive, even mythological proportions. Every part of it in its description shows this massive strength. Its tail is like a tree, that's that's certainly more than a hippo. Its bones as bronze beams, its ribs as bars of iron. It says in the part that the mountains yield food for him. Some some A way you might better translate that is to say the, the mountains bring him tribute. He receives worship from the mountains. This creature is so large. And he's undisturbed by a raging river even so that it fills his mouth. It's almost a way of saying he could swallow the river as it rages at him. And then you go to the second creature, the Leviathan, that you read about in Job 41 Again, we have multiple times in Scripture he's attested to. God's first speech to Job celebrates God's wise and sovereign rule over creation. Psalm 104 likewise does the same. It says, O Lord, how manifold are your works and wisdom. You have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. Here it's pictured as this Leviathan is out in the sea, it's out in the ocean, and it's at play, out where the ships go. And there's almost a sense in which the, the ships are sailing around it. They don't want to go where it's playing. Job 3.8, whenever he invited that curse upon his birthday, he said, let those who curse curse the day, those who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. He's saying that these, these false prophets or the, the, these 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 shamans, let them bring out the curse to bring up the Leviathan to devour my birthday. Again, it's more like a mythological monster. And certainly that's true. We turn to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 26, 21. He says, For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will disclose the bloodshed on it and will no more cover its slain. In that day, the Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the the dragon or the reptile in the sea. Psalm 74 as well, verse 12. Yet God, my king, is from old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan, and you gave him as food for the creatures in the wilderness picture emerges, this is no mere crocodile. This, again, is this monster who is much more evil, much more terrible. King of the sons of pride. For Job, Leviathan is uncatchable. He can't be hooked or gaffed or snared. He's not gentle or reasonable. He can't be toyed with. He can't be bought or sold. You're certainly not going to flay or, fr- or fry this Leviathan. God, God dares him. He says, go ahead and touch him. See if you ever do it again. This creature's proud and beautiful. His armor is impenetrable. He breathes out fire. And he's, he's unmovable and heartless. He thinks nothing of the destruction that he wreaks. And there's nothing that can defeat him. That's what it's saying in verses 26 through 30. This is a, this is a monster which no man has any, any, any ability, not even teams of men, not with all the weapons they could devise. None of them would have success against this creature. Verse 34, he sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. Maybe in that, I don't know if you did, but I was brought back to Psalm 46 and to to our our well-known version of Psalm 46. We sing, a mighty fortress is our God. Luther's famous hymn sounds eerily similar. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. What what, what God is presenting to Job are these two monsters of chaos, these two destroyers in the world, these two beasts that devour, that hurt, that have no conscience against the harm that they do to those around them. One commentator called them super beast and dragon monster. That's much better than hippo and crocodile. Men have no hope against them, but that is a qualified statement. No man, not you, have no ability to overcome these kind of forces. And there is no hope of them being overcome but for the divine warrior, but for that, that one that God had revealed to Job in the beginning when he, when he testified to who he is and to the power that he has, his ability to humble, he can humble the one that's king over the sons of pride. And that's what's drawn out in those. When he challenges, he challenges Job and says, do you have an arm like me? Do you have the kind of power? Do you have glory and splendor like me? Of course that's humbling, but it's also to an end. He says that the behemoth, he is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. He's saying only God has a sword that can penetrate that hide. Only God has a sword that can go into his heart and put him down Leviathan, no one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then can take a a stand before, not Leviathan, but God says, who can take a stand before me? Why does he say that? He says, because I made the Leviathan. He's where he is because I allow him to be where he is and when he is and how he is, and only for the time that I should want him there. But this destroyer dragging is, is nothing more than a servant of the Lord. And so what's God saying to Job in this speech? He's saying once again that he is sovereign, but he's also giving him something to celebrate. He's saying, I am sovereign and I'm also the divine, the, the divine warrior. I am also the one who has the power to rescue you from these evils. And once again, this is, this is not an easy thing for us to put these things together. We say, well, if you're sovereign, why, you know, why do we even have to start with this? Why, why ever let him emerge? But it's also for his glory and splendor that he shows himself the defeater of these evils. And once again, this is what takes us to Christ. Why, God, could you not just be sovereign? And why could you, you, you not just let sin come in the world? Why, you know, why did the serpent have to ever be allowed into the garden? For his own glory. For his own glory through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would come as our divine warrior and rescuer. Job is seeing something here, and, and, and there's, there's more I want to show you, but, but Job sees something here, and he's responding to this, and he responds with those, the, those glorious things that he says and, in, in chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. Now he says, I know you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. What he's saying is, I see your sovereignty, but I also see that you can defeat the chaos. I see that you have a plan, that this is going somewhere, that you're ultimately going to be victorious Remember, Job had never questioned God's sovereignty. Everyone in this book was a sovereignty man. They all believed that God was on his throne. And the question was, was he paying attention? Did he see? Did he know? Did he care? And God is saying, yes, all of those things. I am seeing, I know, and I care, and I'm working, and I have a plan, and I'm going to rescue you. Job recognizes the silliness of what he said and results in a new attitude. He, he changes He points out, God said, hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. And Job responds, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job is at a new place. He was humbled before. He was humbled in silence before. But now he has wisdom that he didn't have before. And he has seen something. He's seen God at work. He sees that he's going to be rescued And that there's only one who can rescue him from those evil forces. It's God himself. And so he changes. He changes his thinking. He says, I can't be what I was before. I don't know if you've ever thought about this with the word repentance. This is a a great word in the Greek. It's metanoia, which means to change, meta, your mind, noia, your knowledge. And then in the English, repent, repent. The root word there is pent, as in pensive, as in I'm thinking hard about something. To repent to, means to change your thinking. Repentance is not just saying you're sorry. It's not just saying, I, I, I wish I hadn't have done that. I feel really bad about it. It's saying, no, I thought wrong thoughts. I acted in wrong ways based on those wrong thoughts, and I'm now changing my thinking. Job has changed his thinking on who God was. He's changed his thinking on what God was doing Job has had a glimpse, he's seen something that God is doing that we, we are given a better picture of in our new covenant context. I want you to jump way forward. Job is considered one of the oldest books in the Bible. I want you to jump way forward to one of the youngest, Revelation, the book of Revelation in chapter 11. I want to ask you, do you recognize some characters here? Revelation 11, verse 7 and when they had finished their testimony the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them there in the book of revelation we find this beast that comes up in order to destroy and then turn over to chapter revelation chapter 12 verse 7 now war arose in heaven michael and his angels fighting against the dragon And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down on the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Remember, the book of Job is filled with accusations, accusing this righteous man of sin. And who was behind it all? It was Satan who was stirring it up. That, that serpent who was in heaven, who was there, had an audience with, with God before his throne. And now here he's pictured in Revelation as being cast down to the earth. He's lost that power, that voice, that audience in heaven and is no longer able to do that. He's put into his place. It says, Revelation 12, 11, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you on earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Again, that shortening of time. This is, this is not a reign of this chaos monster that's going to go on forever, that it's temporary, But that he is defeated, that there's an end to the one who's the accuser of the brethren. Revelation 13, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems in its horns and blasphemous names in its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And, it, and to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. And one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? There is an answer. There's one who can fight against the dragon and against the beast and who's a victorious warrior who is coming to conquer. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 14, 6, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth. To every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. Do you hear the echoes of Job that are spilling into this hopeful book of Revelation? The beast, the serpent dragons from the land, the sea, the the ones that was feared and worshiped by man, given permission to wreak havoc and cause untold suffering in time. This is the story of the book of Revelation, and we know how the story ends. How do we respond to what this text is saying to us about the chaos monsters who are going to be fully and finally defeated? Well, friends, remember, there is great danger in condemning God. You have to remember you don't know what you don't know and when when you're in pain and when things are hurting and and you feel life is is, is coming down and you're feeling the darkness swallow you up and you're wondering, is there there any hope? That's the chaos monster. That's the despair that that the devil longs for. And the book of Job and the book of Revelation both testify to terrible evils taking place in this world, evils that are beyond your ability to defeat but it's only there by the permission of God and it's only there for the timing of God, for the extent that He allows and it's only going to be there until the time he, des- he desires to completely remove it from us. So the evils are real. The cancers are real. The tyrannical governments are real. The hurricanes are real. All of those are doing horrible destruction to the evil and to the innocent and undeserving. But God's word... Job, Revelation, either one, it tells us the same thing, that these things are temporary, that they are short-lived, that they are not forever, and that they are going to be put right. They're going to be put in their place. They're going to be put where they belong. God has told us, as He said through the prophet Isaiah, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient time things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. Those are not insignificant comforts to know not only is God on his throne, not only is he sovereign, but he is a defeater of our enemies. How much misery do we endure because our our, our view of God is too small? We think he's not in the pain. We think he's not involved. We think he's not at war with it. We think he's not going to ride it. But that's the hope in the book of Revelation. that Those who are despairing, those who are suffering, those who are martyred, is that they have hope because God knows and he's giving them the rest of the story. This this book is precious to us to comfort us. Woe to you. Woe to Job and everyone who wants and craves and demands that God treat you justly all the time because Jesus said blessed are you, are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake he's saying there is blessing in your suffering for yours is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you friends this is an encouragement to embrace the suffering to embrace the pain this is not this is not training for for a Dabo or Coach Beamer or something like that for the football game. This is a, this is a different level of pain. This is that, that, that kind that's inescapable and involuntary that comes upon you. And God calls on you to embrace that and to see Him as working in that and see Him as overcoming that in His good time. We have to repent. We have to change the way that we think. And we have to be looking for Christ the victor. Sammy Rutherford once wrote... One pastor, this is one pastor writing to another, and he wrote in prison, and what he made a discovery of in prison is astounding. He said, All was but children's play between Christ and me till now. If one had sworn unto me, I would not have believed what may be found in Christ. The inordinate suffering that that, that Rutherford faced when he was imprisoned taught him to go to Christ in ways that he had not gone to before. And he was humbled by that, and he learned Christ in a new way. And this is what we're called to do and this is what Revelation calls us to and I'll close with a few passages from this wonderful book. John writes in Revelation 19:11, "Then I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges, he judges, and he makes war." Your Christ is a warrior. Your Christ is not gentle and lowly. He's not his earthly ministry when he comes back to right all these these wrongs. This This is not the wandering peasant. This is Christ exalted, Christ glorious, Christ in armor with power and with weapons to wage war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called out to all the birds that fly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and the riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast... And the kings of the earth or the armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured. And with it the false prophet who in his presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from his mouth who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Revelation 20.10 And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. In Revelation twenty two twenty. 20, he who testifies these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we do look to that victory which belongs to you and only to you, which is found in Christ We thank you for the victory that is now, to be free from the dominion of sin, to be free from the burdens of our sin. We thank you for that victory which is to come when you shall right all wrongs and no one shall stand opposed to you ever again, but every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of you, our God and Father. We do celebrate the Son even now, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.